This is the Horse Radio Network. What a beautiful day for horses in the morning. Well, good Tuesday morning, everybody. I am Glenda Geek from Ocala, Florida. And I'm Karen Chatton from Gardnerville, Nevada, and you are listening to Horses in the Morning on the Horse Radio Network for July 8th, episode 950. Good morning, horse world. When your start time's on Saturday and your finish time's on Sunday, and it doesn't get much better than best conditioned, and completing the challenge is the challenge. You're an endurance rider. Let me ride through the wide open country that I love. But don't fence me in. Let me be by myself in the evening breeze. Listen to the murmur of the cottonwood trees. Well, good morning, everybody, and thank you for joining us here on Horses in the Morning. We appreciate you uh, coming back every month when Karen sits in the uh, co-host chair and we talk endurance. Karen, this is a exciting time for endurance between Tevis coming up and the WEG. It's just all kinds of things happening. It, there sure is. It's an uh, exciting time. Now, uh, this would normally be the time when you're getting all nervous and uh, uh, <laughs> trying to get in shape yourself and your horses for one of the toughest rides in the country, and that's, of course, Tevis coming up here in a month or so. But you're not this year. I'm not, because Bo had colic surgery back in April. And, yes, this would be the time of year we'd be doing the, um, the heat training, <laughs> which... I don't really, I don't really mind that I'm missing it. Actually, <laughs> kind of nice. I can kick back and relax and watch everybody else get nervous. <laughs> yeah, you know, like most things that you do, you, you know, after a while, you get used to them and you don't even think about them. Like, you know, doing this show, you were nervous in the beginning of doing this show, and now we just mm-hmm. get together and we do it. But we just talk. <laughs> in Tevis, are you always nervous when you're going into Tevis, no matter who you are? I think so. I think everybody, especially the night before, we don't really sleep a lot, you know, because you're just, everything's going through in your head and you've got those butterflies that I I think mine turn into lead balloons, (laughs) you know, and so you're not really sleeping, um, but that's okay. You're excited. You can't wait to get started and to get to go and, and just, you're always so grateful to have the opportunity to be able to do something like that. It's, um, kind of fun i want to talk to you too about uh what you know later on in the show we'll chat a little bit about because we have a ton of stuff to get to today but i want to chat with you a little bit about what preparations are like what how would you prepare with your horse uh for the month before tevis you know what kind of preparations would you do how often would you work that kind of thing because i was always curious about when you're coming Mm -hmm. into those big into those big races you know what you do uh, right ahead of time. So we'll, ch- we'll chat about that a little bit later in okay. the show. But we have a lot to get to, and Jennifer's going to tell us about that right now. On today's Endurance Tuesday edition, Karen's most recent unusual ride adventures open the show, as usual, 
And next up, Jordan Held recounts her adventures with wildlife and taking a wrong turn on a training ride as she makes her way as a junior rider in endurance. And in the third half of the show, Jeremy Reynolds, athlete extraordinaire, tells us about completing the WST 100-mile run. That's right, run. He did it without the horse. So stay tuned Great for the me. fray, folks. Did he forget his horse at the beginning? Or? <laughs> yeah, it's like, they do why that on pur- purpose, yeah. Oh, really? <laughs> why would you do that is my question. Um, I'll never understand that. You know, I, the most I've ever run is a couple of 5K races when I was much younger. Uh-huh. And that was, and every step of the way I said, why am I doing this? Uh, you know, it's just every step of the way. I don't think I ever enjoyed any of it. Well, it certainly helps your horse out if you're that fit that you can run 100 miles on the Tevis Trail. I mean, really. Yeah, I'm sure your horse is thrilled that you're not riding. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, mine would be. (laughs) Like, yeah, you go run it. See what it's like. Huh, I'll stay here and eat grass. (laughs) Speaking of Bo, you talked about your horse, Bo, your superstar. And we talked to him on a couple of previous episodes how Bo had some colic surgery, and now we're, what, a couple months out from that, and you uh, took him out again, huh? Yes, actually, tomorrow will be uh, actually three months since he had his colic surgery for a, a twist, a 180-degree twist, and he recovered so quickly and so well. I've already done an endurance ride on him. On June 22nd, I took him up to the Wild West Ride, which is near Nevada City, which isn't that far from uh, where Tevis is, up in the same area in Northern California, not too far from Auburn. And I did a, a really nice ride in the forest, in the pine trees. You know, it's a challenging ride. There's a lot of good climbs in it, rocky footing. And we kind of took our time. We finished about the middle of the pack. And he finished with straight A's on his back card and looked just stellar the whole, the whole time he came home. And you would have never known he did anything or that he had just gone through colic surgery ten and a half weeks before that. So I was really happy with that. We also reached a couple of really big milestones on that ride. Bo reached 8,000 career miles, and I reached 36,000. Wow. <laughs> That's great. Congratulations. Thank you. Yes, it was a, we had a really great ride. It was uh, really enjoyable. And then... Um, Some people don't even drive 36,000. <laughs> <laughs> I know. It takes a while to drive that much. I know. That's, um, yeah, 20 years worth of uh, endurance riding <laughs> to get there. Wow. And, and to come back that quickly after college surgery uh, says, says a lot for Bo. Yes, and you, you know, but it says a lot for her, you know. Bo, it's especially. something he he just he loves. He thrives on getting to go down the trail, and I just listened to what he told me he was ready to do and able to do. And um, part of why I picked that ride is because we've done it before. The vet check was in camp. They have really good vets there, so I knew if something didn't seem right, I would be able to stop and quit, and I wasn't, the ride was under 100 miles away from home, so it was close. So I used a lot oh, of so those factors. You didn't have to do the long trailer trip either, yeah. Right, yeah, yeah for now I'm going to be just sticking to the close rides and, you know, probably one day, um, you know, and give them some more time before I 
you know, start to, you know, travel farther away or do something that's more difficult than just a, a 50 for him, you know, which really would, you know, once your horse has 8,000 miles, doing a, just a one-day 50 isn't that big of a deal for him anymore. <laughs> so that's one benefit <laughs> that he's so fit. <laughs> and actually, it, it worked good. I, you know, because of all the rehab I've done with him, getting him out every single day, uh, kept me in shape more than I thought, because I thought that it was going to be really hard for me since I hadn't done a, a, an endurance ride for two and a half months. But it wasn't, it really didn't, I wasn't sore too much at all, which is great. <laughs> yeah, that always helps. <laughs> I know, Now I know. You, uh, you also uh, got to do some other things too, right? Um, yes, the week before I went down to the Horse Expo in Sacramento, and uh, got to help out in the Elk Grove Milling booth. They are one of my sponsors and provide me with their horse seed called Stable Mix, which my horses have been on for about four years now, and they thrive on it. And that was a lot of fun. I got to meet a lot of people from all over. It's one of the largest uh, expos, or um, you could equate it to an equine affair in the country. And that was kind of fun to get to go you know, see all the stuff and shop and look around. So that was that was a now nice weekend. Now, what company did you say there, you were there for? What company was it? Um, Elk Grove Milling. Okay. And they're in Elk Grove, California. <laughs> Got it. Okay. Cool. Yes. And they just and expanded now- their distributorship to include all of Southern California. Yeah, that, see, with the, a lot of times with the milling companies, they're so local, that's why I've never heard of them. You know, that's why. Right. So now they're covering pretty much all of California and northern Nevada, but they also ship worldwide. They, they ship their product all over the world, which is, I didn't know that. I didn't realize that. And they make a really great, good quality horse feed, and it's, uh, you can buy it in bulk. You can uh, have the truck deliver it and put it in a hopper and get it by the ton, buy it by the barrel, or even 50-pound bags. Hmm. All right. Yeah. And yeah. then something about rattlesnakes. Did you rattlesnakes, have yes. That was, the, that was kind of interesting. Uh, we took our three dogs to Rattlesnake Avoidance School at Washoe Lake State Park, and they use actual Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Rattlesnake <laughs> Avoidance School? Yes, they teach your dogs to learn the scent and the sounds of actual rattlesnakes so that when you're out on the trail with your dogs, they will hopefully avoid getting bitten. Huh. How exactly do they train them to not go near the rattlesnake? It's interesting. They put a shot collar on the dog, and then they put the dog on a long lead line and walk the dog through a course. They introduce the dog to a juvenile rattlesnake, a rattlesnake skin, an adult rattlesnake. Uh, They have one snake that's kind of in a bunch of rocks. And they purposely bring the dog over to where it would go right over the, the snake. And if the dog, a lot of the times the dogs will instinctively know and stay away, but if they get too close to the snake and they, they get a zap from the collar. And so by the end of the course, they have an adult rattlesnake between me and my dog with the handler holding, you know, has my dog on the lead. And then I call my dog and 
they want to come to me, but they need to learn to go around the rattlesnake. And they did, you know, they, by that point, they figured out, holy moly, you know, but they also get to learn to focus, to pay attention. And it works really good. One of my dogs, she, she spooks at sticks now. <laughs> she, she'll see a stick on the trail that might possibly be a snake and she'll go uh, okay. around it. Okay, Karen, but if your dog flunks, so if your dog flunks and the rattlesnake's between you and, and you know, the dog, and the dog flunks, he basically gets bit and dies. This is a real serious school to go to. It is, and two of my dogs went last year, and so this was a reinforcer, and then the other dog, we just got her in December, so it was her first time, and it's, a, it's just good. We did the re- refresher course just to, you know, reinforce it, and I think it's a real good training because, you know, I'd much rather avoid a bite than to have to, you know, take, you know, rush your dog to the vet because of a snake, and, and my dogs have encountered snakes, and totally, as soon as they see the snake, they they back right up and go way around. And they uh, alert hey, to I it, think so. I think uh, our do- our greyhound would be one of those that would flunk. What do you think, Jennifer? I think <laughs> we would end up with a rattlesnake <laughs> greyhound. He'd flunk that final test. She'd, she'd she'd go wandering over and still stick her nose in the in the. You know what would happen, Glenn? She would go over yeah. there and she'd get near it and sniff once and she'd get one zap and she would be six counties away. And we'd never see her Yeah, that's true. We'd never find her again. (laughs) Yeah. Well, mine are always afraid of car doors. Oh, okay. Yes. But ours, you know, that's the fear is ours are taking off chasing rabbits into the bushes, and that's where they're going to encounter a snake. So hopefully this will help because they're on the trail pretty much every day. Well, I've got to say, that's the first. I've never heard of rattlesnake uh, avoidance school, so... That's that's interesting. You know, yes, I don't have, know if they have those. They, do they have them on the East Coast? I don't know if they have them on the East Coast or not. I'm pretty sure, <laughs> yeah. Just Google rattlesnake avoidance. They've got them all over the country. Please and, learn uh, about the most fascinating things from you. <laughs> uh, I was going to say the weirdest things. It could be weirdest, fascinating things. I'll put them both together. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Well, gosh, you know, I, I, I've encountered more snakes on my horse than anything over the years. Oh, I bet. Encountered I bet lots of rattlesnakes, some pretty gnarly ones, and some snakes, I'm not sure what they were, but they were evil-looking. <laughs> <laughs> Any snake that's evil-looking, just go the other way. It's, it's, well, there's some it's snakes the that are, you know, really beautiful. I, I mean, you know, or, or whatever, or they're very docile, or they just, lie there and they're not very threatening and then there's some that are that are not very friendly at all <laughs> i'm happy to leave them alone <laughs> jennifer didn't you just point a post on horse tip daily a snake uh guide or whatever didn't i see that oh you must be on uh, yes yeah. i i posted a picture of know your poisonous snakes and they had had drawings of all the different colors and yeah i was ah. wondering how many yeah it never works I just that way. Invariably, when you come across one of those things, he's in the shadows. Yeah, he's partly covered that. up by leaves. <laughs> you can't tell which freaking snake it is. Just get the heck out of the way. I, exactly. And just the other day, my husband was walking the dogs this weekend in the morning, and he came across a snake that had just caught a rabbit and was in the process of, you know, strangulating Having it. Having lunch? <laughs> 
<laughs> having yeah breakfast and uh, yeah, I actually I, I put a picture of that on my Facebook page. It was uh, interesting. Poor poor little bunny. <laughs> <laughs> Well, if you want to see the uh, list, uh, the pictures of all of the poisonous rattlesnakes, head over to Horse Tip Daily on uh, Facebook, and you'll find that. Well, now we have to get to next our endurance tip, and what do you have for us this month? Well, I was going to talk about what to carry on your saddle for an endurance ride or for even just a trail ride. And uh, okay. this can this can vary a lot depending on the person and how much stuff they want to carry. I mean, I I try not to go overboard and you know carry too much stuff on the horse. But there are some basic things if you're going to be out there for a few hours that it's good to have. Top of the list would be um, just a small little pack, uh, Kleenex or toilet paper. What I do is I run through my toilet paper rolls at home until they're about a quarter to a third you know, left and take it off, flatten it down and put it in a baggie. And then I put that in my saddle because who wants to be carrying around a whole roll, right? So Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so so that's, that's what idea. I do. I, yeah, I always have that handy. I have a chapstick, a, like a Swiss Army knife or a multi-tool kind of thing. I have a small first aid kit, which has stuff like Band-Aids, a sanitary pad, antibiotic ointment, vet wrap, a bandana, a piece of hose, so in case your horse does get bit by a rattlesnake, you can use the hose to keep the airway open. You can also use it as a splint, like if you break a finger or something like that. Um, Medication, usually I'll carry, I get from the dollar store, you know, they have those seven-day-a-week little pill organizer things, and I get one of those. And I put like a Benadryl in one, Benadryl in one, Tums, Excedrin, electrolyte tablets for me. And then I pack it with cotton or just some Kleenex so that the pills can't jiggle around because if they do, they'll become just um, basically powder. <laughs> so I have oh, okay. that in there. Um, I always have one or two spares. That's a good food. idea using one of those, you know, just using separate compartments uh-huh. for each one. That's a really good idea. Yes, and then, and then you got to remember which is which, or you can mark it on the top. Because I yeah, forget. you can mark right. Definitely, you can you can mark it, uh, you know, just with a felt marker or something like that. Uh, and most of the stuff's pretty obvious, you know, the Benadryls, certain size right. and shape and color. As long as you, you know you you know you're paying attention, and it's always good to carry. I mean, especially if you're riding where there could be wasps and bees. You know, the Benadryl is always good to have. Uh, just in case you get stung or something. I've seen people get stung and their hand swells up like a great big balloon. So Ew. so that's good to have that. I know. Ooh. Uh, one or two spare <laughs> hook boots. I, I always like to have at least one in case, you know, you need it or someone else might need it. But if your horse takes two different sizes between front and rear, it's good to have two. That way, no matter which foot might need a spare boot, you've got it and you're prepared. Um, a sponge or a scoop is good to have, for especially in the summertime and if there's a water source. If you know there's no water source, then you, know, you don't really need that. Um, extra tie rings and snaps or clips so that if you need to, you can tie a jacket on or if you pick something up off the trail that you find, you can attach it. I always have a hoof pick that's clipped 
and easy access on and off of the saddle. And I can't tell you how many times I've used it or needed to lend it to someone else that needed to use it. Um, I like to carry some snacks for myself and usually a small baggie of horse feed, especially if I know I'm going to be out for several hours. It's always good to have along. But again, this is all stuff some people might not feel that they need to carry. Uh, it's just something that um, I commonly do. I like to have a couple of water bottles on me and uh, either one of them I like to have with an electrolyte drink or I carry the electrolyte uh, capsules or tablets with me that I can add to the water if, if I need to. If I'm riding with a GPS, which I usually do, or a camera, I carry extra batteries. And always make sure you replace those batteries because if you leave them in your saddle and, and it's hot or cold, then they don't tend to last as long and then they won't, you know, often won't work at all. Um, I carry, let's see, a, um, I have small bungee cords that I buy by the yard at the um, fabric store. It's like a quarter a yard. And I use that to attach my saddle packs so that they don't bounce. And that works out really good. If you're going to be out for a longer ride um, or, you know, just you're going into the back country and you're not sure about changing weather, because if you ever ride in the mountains, you always should have reindeer with you. So for those people that are, you know, doing that kind of riding, it's always good to, you know, carry a little bit more stuff, such as a flashlight, zip ties. I always like to have a pen or pencil that has duct tape wrapped around it. That way, if I need the duct tape, like, say, some my clothing rips or something, I can duct tape it. Um, and, oh, that's a good you know, idea. Yeah, what can't you fix with duct tape or a zip tie, right? <laughs> well, and, you know, I never would have thought about, you know, I would have gone, oh, how do I carry this big roll of duct tape along with me? <laughs> but wrapping, wrapping it around it, a pen or a pencil, you got dual purpose. You just put it in with your big roll of toilet paper. and <laughs> Exactly. You, you just need an extra whole horse to carry it all with you, right? Um, <laughs> I always have a couple of, like, index cards that I fold up and put in there so that if I have to write something down uh, for whatever reason, like to leave a note or say I meet somebody on the trail and I want to write down their phone number or something, I've got something to write on um, with that pen or pencil that has the duct tape on it. Um, and I keep that in a baggie. Um, other things might be something such as uh, waterproof matches and a trash bag. The trash bags are handy. You can poke a hole in the top and put it over you in case of a rainstorm, or you can use it to put over your pack and your horse to keep them dry if you do get caught in an unexpected uh, storm of some sort. So those are uh, the things I like to carry in, in my saddle when I ride. Um, and it doesn't, you know, most of that stuff doesn't weigh very much and doesn't take up a lot of space. If you start carrying too much stuff, then when you need it, you can't find it. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. It's the full closet How do syndrome. you carry? Yeah. What, what, what do you use to carry your stuff? Uh, I use uh, snug packs, saddle packs. I have a pommel pack on the front that holds the two water bottles and then, the, you know, the first aid kit. Pretty much everything goes in the front. And then on the, on the rear of my saddle, I have two uh, boot bags, which I usually will have uh, the one or the two hoof boots in uh, or the small baggie of feed for my horse. And then I've got my tie, tie strings and, or uh, the, the bungee uh, cord that I use to attach stuff like uh, jackets 
or rain gear too. And then I've always yep. got the that, you know the hook pick attached, and uh, yeah, you'd be surprised how handy it is to have stuff that you can just quickly access. Okay, yeah, here. yeah, so, especially yeah, go ahead, Jen. The your horse feed in a little baggie made some questions come up. First of all, is it the same horse feed that he would normally eat for a meal? Yes. It's not anything specific. Okay, so that's the first thing. So second thing, uh, being a fox hunter and not an endurance rider, common practice around fox hunting circles is when you're at a check, in other words, you're standing around waiting for the hounds to pick up on the scent of something to chase, um, you see a lot of folks let their horses aimlessly graze because the worst thing you want your horse to do is fuss. So people tend to let their horse graze on the trees or the grass or whatever so that they stay quiet. But in endurance riding, is it common for the riders to allow their horse to eat things along the trail, or is that very much uh, don't eat anything unless I brought it along for you? Well, a little bit of both. Most of the rides, it it just completely depends on the ride. Like if we're riding in, say, Death Valley, there's not a whole lot for the horses to eat. Sand. You're going to be eating a lot of sand. <laughs> and rocks. So, you know, there's yeah. an occasional bit of grass, you know, here and there. You do want your horse. I mean, I like for my horse to never have to go more than an hour or two without getting a couple bites. And that's why carrying the food is really handy because you get to a water stop. You can hop off and just hand them a, a few handfuls of feed. Or, you know, whenever you're stuck in line, if you're having to wait to get your pulse uh, checked or to vet, that's a really great time to pull the feed out and, uh, you know, not waste time. Your horse is at least doing something productive. He's eating. And so that's a real, hand, you know, handy reason to have the uh, the feed with you if you're on a ride where there isn't stuff to graze. Keep the tanks topped but off. Yeah, it's, it's, so, it's, yeah. according to the rules of endurance riding, are you allowed, so you start the ride and you have your little, your little, uh, bag of of feed with you. Uh-huh. Would you be allowed to replenish that during the ride, or are the rules such that whatever you take out with you at the beginning is all you're allowed to have? No, you definitely can replenish stuff at the vet check. Okay, they, you know, and I'm sure most of the ride veterinarians would want you to do that. They want your horse to keep eating. And yeah, we're not Well, very good. That's a whole pile of stuff. They're all, but most of the stuff is small, which is nice. But it is a whole pile of stuff and some of the things that you probably learned along the way, the hard way that you should have along. Um, and uh, I'm sure everybody learns uh, the hard way of the, the various things that they should bring along. Did you, have you ever done a blog post about, uh, about what you carry on your saddle? Um, I don't think I have. I think I'm going to do this, though. I, I will okay. Good. post this up. And, and where can some people find that? Uh, KarenChatton.com. All right, KarenChatton.com. She has a great blog over there with a whole bunch of information, and uh, she'll put this over there as well. Well, we we had the opportunity to catch up with uh, with our terrific sponsor, uh, Kristen Lacey of Distance Depot, yesterday. Karen and I did, and uh, for our product review of the month, and this is a product that I know you like, and we'll talk a little bit about mm-hmm. it. But uh, let's first hear from Karen and talk about the Sheer Comfort. Savers. Well, hi, Kristen from Distance Depot. So welcome back to the show. Hi, Karen and Glenn. Happy to be here. Well, we're, Hello. Ta- we're talking about something I know Karen is uh, adamant about because she uses it all the time. So tell us what product we're talking about this month. 
Um, we are going to talk about our sheer comfort saddle covers and accessories. These have been available on the market for many years. This particular line of saddle covers was actually um, developed by EasyCare in Arizona. Um, they went on to focus all of their attention to their Easy Boots. So the Distance Depot acquired the line, I'd say, about five years ago. And now these are uh, saddle covers that you would ride in. You, you know, this is the kind you put on and you sit on. Uh, so tell us about, uh, you know, there are different types of wool, I know, for that people use for saddle covers. Tell us what kind of wool you use. Okay. We use 100% merino wool. Um, it's the highest quality and durability. Merino sheepskins are raised in Australia, and the merino sheep represents superior breeding and care. Um, it has exceptionally long and silky fibers, and the merino is the most prized wool on the market. Um, they actually, in a square inch or, or per square inch, um, 50,000 follicles can be on the on the actual sheepskin pelt. So who sat there scary. and counted that, Kristen? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> okay, this one only know. has 49,900. Reject. Right. <laughs> That's right. Well, you know, and isn't Australia the only place that merino wool is? Uh, produced that's absolutely correct yeah yep which is interesting now are these now you have different types of saddle covers too you have a whole bunch of different ones for different types of saddles we do we actually have 11 covers and over the years you know they've been modified and developed we have three types of english seat only covers that just cover the seat on these saddles Um, We have a small, a large, and a new oversized um, cover because we've found so many of the manufacturers these days of the dressage saddles are making the seats so deep we needed to to give a little more, uh, make the skins a little larger for these oversized uh, saddles that are out there. We have three different styles for the full English, meaning we cover the whole saddle, so from the seat all the way down the fender. Um, we have, you know, basically a, we have a, an all-purpose, which fits most of the all-purpose saddles on the market, and a dressage cover, and also um, one specifically designed for the Wintech Endurance saddle that's out there that so many folks use these days. And, and Karen, have, which one do you use, Karen? I use the full one, and I was just going to ask you, what colors do you have these available in? They are available in black, brown, natural, which is a beige shade, and mm-hmm. also navy blue. Oh, neat. Okay. Um, Some more of the styles that we offer, we have a a Bob Marshall cover, which is specifically designed for that treeless saddle. Karen, do you ride in the the full western? Yeah, that's what I use. I have a Bob Marshall, and I ride in the full cover. Yes, they're wonderful, especially this time of year. It's been so hot. It's so easy to just go out and hop on with shorts and go for a quick ride, and that's why I love these covers because they're so comfortable to ride in. Yeah, the the benefits of this wool is that, um, you know, they work in all weather. Hot weather, um, you know, the natural wool fibers allow for circulation throughout the fibers, helping keep you cool. And in cold weather, um, it absorbs the heat and holds it against your body to help you keep you warm. So they really are comfortable year-round. And tell us how you recommend to care for these. Well, it's pretty easy. Um, You can hand wash them or machine wash them on general cycle. 
um, of course, using a, a you know detergent without bleach. We recommend the Leather Therapy Laundry Solution because they are natural skins, and so, of course, the back is actually leather. Um, so that helps keep them soft. And you can use a fabric softener um, to help keep it soft and pliable as well. And you want to make sure you line dry them out of direct sunlight. Um, and uh, as they're drying, if you want to just sort of keep, you know, stretch the shape a little bit, you can mm-hmm. certainly do that if, you, if, if you're around while it's drying. And you can brush the wool periodically if it gets matted down, sometimes where your leg goes on the fender or at the bottom. Um, you can surely take a little flicker brush and just fluff up the furs. And I see on your website you have several different items made out of this sheepskin. Tell us about some of those things. We, yeah, we have a cinch cover, which gives your horse the ultimate cover on his girth. We also have a cinching protector if you just need a cover to protect if you have a western cinch with the buckle uh, or with that buckle. You want to protect his side, you can use one of our cinching protectors. And we have stirrup leather covers, so if you wanted to ride in your English saddle but didn't want uh, the full cover, you could get the seat only and maybe the stirrup leather covers because anybody who's ever ridden in those stirrup leathers, I I always seem to get pinched by the Mm -hmm. (laughs) stirrup leather to make that a lot more comfortable. We have um, nose band covers, and we also have a luxurious halter set, um, you know, that the fuzzy would be on the crown, on the cheek pieces, and across the nose, so that makes your halter pretty comfy. Very good. And how can people get them? Well, they can order on the Distance Depot. Go to our Sheer Comfort page, and you'll find it all there, um, thedistancedepot.com. And if you have any questions about we list all of the measurements as well um, on each product. So, And if you you have a particular saddle you're not sure of, be sure to give us a call, um, toll-free, 866-863-2349, and we'll be happy to help you figure out which cover you would need for your particular saddle. And this comes Karen Chatton butt recommended. <laughs> and you can't you don't get that every day. That that's a rare thing. <laughs> Thank you, Kristen. Thank you. And it was something that we didn't get to talk about uh there with uh Kristen from Distance Depot is the fact and I think this is the one of the most important things in my mind is that all the products are hand cut and sewn right at the Distance Depot. Uh, in Missouri, they 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 keep their manufacturing in the family. Uh, they do all the hand cutting and sewing of the sheepskin products right there. They they one of the relatives that does the uh, does the sewing has been doing it since 1969. So you know you're going to get quality workmanship and American-made quality workmanship. So the the uh, the wool may come from Australia, but uh, all the work is done here in the United States and. Uh, I know you just love these things, and and uh, you probably would not uh, dream about riding 100 miles without that under your butt. So, uh, it, it does make a difference. Oops, did we lose Karen? We may have lost Karen. She's, yeah, I don't know where she's uh, she went. gone back. To, uh, she's gone and do, to do some more rattlesnake <laughs> testing. Yeah, I don't know. I, 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 uh, we, th- I, we seem to have lost her. I don't know what happened there. Um, so, uh, may, well, I'm sure she'll be uh, getting back to us here very shortly. And we have a couple of uh, neat uh, interviews. That Now, these interviews, you guys had the opportunity to do. One of the things about doing the live show is we like to have the interviews live as well. But with endurance riders, they're always busy, always traveling, always uh, practicing. So, Sometimes we have to do the, you know, we actually have to do them 
uh, in advance. So uh, you and Karen got had an opportunity to do the couple of interviews that we're going to play here for you. Karen, are you back with us? I, I think I'm back. Can you hear me? Okay, there, yeah, there you are. Thank Yay! You for, uh, get, yes. Thank you for getting back to us. Tell nice us about. <laughs> <laughs> Tell us about the uh, the next guest we have coming up. Oh, by the way, let me just finish that. I was just saying that you probably wouldn't ride 50 miles without without your seat saver. So uh, from sheer comfort, and I know that Definitely. you absolutely love those things. We have to be comfortable. <laughs> Distance Depot. You can find it all at Distance Depot. You can take a look uh, for them online, and we've posted a link to them as well on our Facebook page. Tell them you heard about them on the Horses in the Morning show. All right, talk to us about Jordan, and then we'll play the interview that you guys had an opportunity Jordan. to do. Yes, she's been riding endurance for two years now. She's just 17 years old. She's completed 550 miles, including already, which is really impressive, two one-day 100-mile completions. And she's riding a Rocky Mountain horse. So listen to our oh, interview wow. and, and learn all about her. I just wanted to say that uh, our Rocky our, our mountain horse episode is this Thursday that we do every Yay. month, and, and here you have a girl that's 17 riding a Rocky Mountain horse in endurance. So let's take a listen. I'm excited to hear it. Well, good morning, Jordan. Welcome to the show. Thank you for joining us. Good morning. How are you doing today? I'm doing really good. How are you? I'm doing real good. So I thought you would be fun to talk to and get your perspective as a new young rider in the sport of endurance. And tell us how old you are. I am 17 years old. And how, uh, long, how long have you been riding? For about 10 years now. Wow. Yeah, I did, um, I did jumping in the beginning, and I started endurance about a year and a half ago. Wow. How did you get started in endurance? I, my cousin... Um, got me started in it, and she told me what she did, and I thought it sounded really cool and less boring than the arena, let's just say. Um, <laughs> and uh, I went out on the trail ride with her, and I went 15 miles on my first trail ride, and I thought, well, because I was really sore, but I thought that was a really cool experience, and I wanted to do it. Well, tell us about your horse that you've been riding. I have a Rocky Mountain horse. She's 12 years old. Uh, Palomino, and for her third ride, I did 20 Meal Team 100 on her, and that was one of my favorite rides ever because I finished a 100 on my horse that I trained, so it was really awesome. She's she's pretty cool. Well, good job. Yes, I think I did that same 100. Was that the one this year? Yes, this year. Yes, and you finished, I think, 13th, didn't you? Yes. Yep. Good job. Thank wow. you. Wow. Well, so what made you want to do 100? Um, I just wanted to build up to that level. Well, when I started endurance, my friend Rachel told me about the Tevis, and I told her, heck no, I'm scared of Chris. <laughs> I do not want to do that. Those people are crazy. And um, I don't really know. I just had the drive to finish a 100, and now I already have set my entry in to do the Tevis, so... I guess I'm crazy. Good. Well, and didn't you also do Virginia City? Yes, I did. You did, um, you did the 100 there? Yes. I got offered a horse to ride, so I just took it. And I, I didn't even ride a 75 before the 100. I just hopped on and rode, and I was like, what the heck am I doing? <laughs> I'm so sore. <laughs> well, that's pretty good for your first two seasons of endurance riding. That's 
really terrific. Thank you. How, how, do, how do you fit in your conditioning and training during the school year and stuff, and now with your job? It's really hard. I do a lot of <laughs> night training, night rides, because I can't fit it all in. But I try to ride about four times a week, if not maybe more. But, um, yeah, with school, it's really complicated and work it is too, but I always manage to fit in riding four times a week, either so you- early in the morning or late at night. Well, so you must have a really supportive family that helps you um, to do this. Oh, yeah. Yes, I do, 100%. Um, well, tell, tell us about them. Well, they, they've they always supported what I love to do. And um, anything, they're always there with me, whatever my goal, whatever my dream is. They're always there with me the whole entire way, every crew spot, um, everything. So I... I honestly would not be able to do what I'm doing without them. And do any does anyone else in your family ride? My little sister does ride. Um, she really wants to do a 50 pretty soon because um, she always comes to my endurance races. So she's really excited. My mom hops on and rides my horses sometimes at the lake. She likes to have those perfectly calm riding, not going fast kind of riding. Uh-huh. <laughs> but you're the first endurance rider in the family. I am. Oh, good. I'm well, the only you... one right now. <laughs> <laughs> okay. And you mentioned that 20 Mule Team was your favorite ride. What made it your favorite ride? Well, I mean, it was really boring because it was deserty. It wasn't that scenery. But it was right after I crossed the finish line, I honestly started bawling my eyes out because I was so so happy uh-huh. that I finished on my own horse. So that just that made it the best ride. Wow, I know the feeling. That was pretty cool. <clears throat> so, have you ever gotten lost? Yes, I have. Uh, <laughs> on on the trails I train on every single day. That was probably oh, I was so mad that whole day. I was like, <laughs> how did I get lost? <laughs> so, are you directionally yeah. challenged? <laughs> I think I was that day. I honestly okay. do. I don't know okay. what I was doing. Okay, so you're learning, and you usually ride with a sponsor, don't you? I did for the first year because I wasn't, I didn't turn 16 on time. So, I mean, I'm glad I rode with sponsors because I learned so much by that, and I'm really happy. Um, but this year is my first year riding by myself. Oh, good job! And you I have mean, a sponsor. Was my first ride. Okay, myself. so, so you have. Oh, well, good. That's a good job to get through 100 on your, you know, first time riding as an adult. That's. That's well, it was officially good. a doll. I just rode by with someone. <laughs> uh-huh, good. And so on Tevis, I know you need to have a sponsor because you're still considered a minor. So give us a little rundown on um, your plans for, you know, your sponsor and your, you know, Tevis trip and your, you know, who who do you have crewing for you? Have you got all that stuff worked out? Well, um, it turns out the person, my best friend who started me in endurance, she is we just found out a week ago she's sponsoring me for the tennis, so I'm really, really excited to be able to have her as my sponsor. Um, and her parents and my parents are going to be the crew, and our friends are no going to be the crew. And we've been training out in the canyons. Um, I go out there on Friday and Saturday this week to train out there. So, so. you live close by the trail then? I do. Oh, good. Yeah. Well, that that's real helpful. Have you seen any wildlife when you're out there riding? 
I've seen a baby bear before and baby mountain lions, but I haven't seen the mamas yet, so that's that's a good sign. <laughs> so what what did your horse think of that? <laughs> they they really didn't care at all. Oh, good. good. I, I I was caring. I was like, I gotta get out of here, but they didn't really see it. <laughs> yeah, the, I know some horses really don't like bears. <laughs> they get too close. I know they. It was in the tree, and we were we were going on a narrow trail, and we just tried to book oh, it up the hill. I, I think I've seen that same bear. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. Okay, so tell us why you think endurance riding is so great for junior riders like yourself. Well, I think it's so great because you get to experience more things than you do in an arena. You get to experience crossing through waterfalls, over bridges, going up to the top of the peak and looking down at the valley. Just all the, like, I like endurance because of the views. Like, you would never be able to see any of these views in a car or on a bike because who rides 50 miles on a bike? Like, like I don't, but um, <laughs> I think... I think it's awesome to be able to ride this distance and say you've done 50 or 100 miles. It's awesome. I'm Good. To say that. Good. And so what are your goals coming up for this next year or so? Um, I'd like to do Virginia City again. Um, definitely complete the Tevis. That's one mm-hmm. of my biggest goals for this year. I don't know. I just wanted to do different rides that I didn't do from last year. That's my, that's my goal. So you like doing the hundreds? I do. <laughs> Good. That's Even though great. I'm really sore. Uh-huh. Do you have any advice for other juniors to help get them motivated and get them started if they want to start giving endurance riding a try? Find some smart sponsors to help you through the ride. And, and really Excellent. the finish is to win, and that's what I realized um, it really is. Well, so good for all, you. It's not all about racing. It isn't. Mm-hmm. Right, it's, right. It's just to have a good time. Good. And it sounds like you are having a great time. Oh, yeah. Yes, I am, for sure. Good, good for you. Well, I look forward to seeing you at some of the rides. And good, good luck at Tevis. We wish you Thank all the you. best. And, and um, I really hope you guys finish and have a great ride. And uh, looking forward to seeing you. And thank you, uh, thank you for being on the show. Yeah, I'll see you there. Okay. What a neat girl. She sounds like a lot of fun, and I, you know, she's she's somebody that we're definitely going to have to keep an eye on. I hope you we get to check in with her after Tevis. I know. That's great. I love when they yeah, we'll see into it so quickly, like she has. That's great. Yeah, she just dove in, but it sounds like she's done that with you know almost everything she does, and. Uh, <laughs> Good job with the interview, because interviewing teenagers isn't always easy. It's it's Jamie's least favorite thing to do. (laughs) Wouldn't it be great, though, to to get to do this when you're only 17? (laughs) I know. And then, uh, you know, have a whole lifetime ahead of you to actually get good at it. Yeah. Uh Uh-huh. Exactly. Yeah. That's the problem. I've started most of the things I've uh, really enjoyed too late in life. That's, that's That's what happens to most of us, I guess. Well, now, I know there's another product that you enjoy using, but your horse especially enjoys, and that's the Renegade Hoof Boots. Yes, another great made-in-USA product that we have to talk about, which is wonderful. They are made in Arizona and come in eight colors, 
they have uh, the original Renegade boot. They've got a newer model called the Viper, and they also have uh, glue-on boots. I prefer to use the strap-on boots because, for me, they're just easier. They're so easy to put on and to take off. Um, that's all I've used this year is the strap-on boots. They've been working wonderfully. I just used them on those last ride where we went through a lot of mountainous, rocky terrain, and the boots are just terrific for protecting my horses, and they allow him to live barefoot the rest of the time. I just need to put the boots on for the times that I'm going to be riding across, you know, rocks or long distance, and they're a really great product. And you can find out more about them by going to renegadehoofboots.com. Well, uh, thank you for that. RenegadeHoofBoots.com is where you want to go to uh, to check out those. And I do like them because of the colors. They actually <laughs> have the colors that I would use for my rescue pony uh, mm-hmm. for driving, but uh, but they don't have the size. He's a little too small. So they don't wow. have double zero, which is what eventually, I really need. Eventually, they'll, yeah. they'll get sizes. <laughs> but he has the perfect color. Oh, what color? What color? Well, either uh, a uh, sort of royal blue or yellow. Oh, good. And, good. And you, you know, know most and of that, the other boots don't come in those colors. Why? Right. And what's really cool is you can mix and match. So, like, the base of the boot can be one color, and then the captivator can be another color. Uh, you can order them that way. So that way you can keep track of, say, you have horses with different colors for their tack and stuff, or just to keep track of the front boots versus the hind boots. There's a lot of customizing you can do with them. You just need to give the factory a call and talk to them, and, and they're really helpful. They can help you, you know, fit your boots, or fix problems if you have any issues or you're having difficulty. Uh, they'll, they'll help you. They'll work with you to figure it out. Very good. Well, we can, uh, why don't we take a break for our song? And I had a song planned for today that I thought would be perfect, but I could not get it to upload. Our system was uh, playing games with me here all morning. So we're going to play a song that we keep in reserve because our entire audience loves it. Jamie loves it. Everybody in the horse world loves it. And that is Templeton Thompson singing Girls and Horses. We'll be back after this to talk about the WEG, which uh, is coming up very, very quickly. Talks about them, dreams about them, thinks about them all the time. She's got to have them, be lost without them. You can see it in her eyes. What is it? What is it with girls and horses? She said, now when I was a young girl, they were my whole world. They were my one safe place. Now that I'm older, still 
That's Templeton Thompson singing Girls and Horses. You can find all of her music at templetonthompson.com. Wasn't she at that uh, horse expo in Sacramento too, Karen? Oh, did we lose Karen again? Karen, are you? do you have yourself on mute? Well, Karen, I know, is having issues today with her... Uh, with her system, so I'm sure it's she'll get back to us. I don't know what's going on there. One. I know. Well, yeah. you're listening to Horses in the Morning. I am Glenda Geek here, supposedly, with Karen Chatton, who will be back here shortly. That's what happens when you live in the mountains of Colorado or Nevada. <laughs> it could be and, the satellite uh, crash or something. You never know. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Karen, are you back again? I'm back. Are you there? I don't know oh, what good. it is. It just keeps I don't know. Dropping you're having off. issues today. That's okay. I guess. That's all right. <laughs> I was just saying, I think Templeton Thompson was at uh, the expo in Sacramento, wasn't she? Yes, she was. Uh, yes, she was. And, uh, Did you yeah, get to meet her? I didn't. I missed her. I went by her booth a couple times and just kept missing her. She's a sweetie. You, uh, you, you will enjoy meeting her. She's very friendly and okay. very nice. And uh, okay. we, we, like having, uh, we like having her part of our show here in the mornings. Well, let's talk WEG. WEG is coming up the end of August, and there is an uh, endurance team that has been named by the United States. Do you want to run through the the team here and tell us a little about it? Sure. Um, I'll just uh, name the top five and the alternate, and these are ranked in order. Uh, The first one is Heather Reynolds, uh, Jeremy's wife, Um, riding chances. Hopefully I said that right. A 2005 Arabian gelding. Then we have Ellen now They're Olson. right down the street from us here in Florida. Actually, they Heather are. and her husband, yeah. Jeremy, are both on the team. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They both are, which is pretty impressive out of, uh, you know, the top five spots. They take two of them. Uh, second is Ellen Olson on a horse named Hot Desert Night, which is a 2000 Arabian gelding. Uh, uh, Dr. Margaret Sleeper. Riding Sirocco Reveal, a 2000 Arabian mare. And then we have Jeremy Reynolds riding RR Gold Dust Rising, a 2006 Arabian gelding. Kelsey Russell uh, riding Wild Irish Gold, a 2003 Anglo Arab mare. And the alternate is Jeremy Olson 
riding Wallace Hill Shade, a 2002 half Arabian gelding. Now, uh, Dr. Sleeper, you know, is an interesting story as well, isn't she? Uh, yes. Tell me about it. Well, isn't she, uh, isn't she uh, like 60-some? Isn't she a little bit older? I, sh- gosh, I don't know the ages. I know Heather and Jeremy are young, um, but I really don't know how old the others are. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm thinking of someone else, too. I could be. I could be wrong, but I know she's been on teams before. Um, uh-huh. Yeah, you know what? I'm thinking of someone else. Okay. Who is the one that has ridden into her 60s and 70s? She's from New Jersey. I know who you're talking about. <laughs> I can't think of her name. <laughs> of course not. That's just because we're on the show live. We can't, we, our yes, brains right. are on mute. <laughs> uh, maybe, you know, what the heck? What do I know? Anyway, um, so that is the team. Now, the, the guest that we have coming up is one of those people, right? Definitely, yes. Jeremy Reynolds. He's been competing in endurance since about 2001. He's got a background in fox hunting and show jumping. And in addition to winning rides like the Tevis, which he has won three times, he's represented the USA on FEI-level events all over the world, has many medal wins and best conditions, and he's been selected to go to WAG next month. He just recently, like a week ago, completed the Western States Trail 100-mile endurance run. And so we have him on the show to talk about his experience doing the run and how it compares to doing the Tevis ride and also tell us about the uh, the WEG selection process. Well, welcome to the show, Jeremy. Thank you for joining us, and congratulations on completing the Western States 100-mile run recently. Thank you, and thank you for having me. So after doing that, and you've won the Tevis three times, how do you feel about how the trail compares from being a runner versus a rider? Um, from a, a standpoint of difficulty, the trail for the runners is quite a bit more difficult. Um, we At the beginning, they even just little things like when you go up squat, instead of um, going up the nice road to the uh, Washington or the, the monument up there at the top, you you take it right and you go up, they call the escarpment and it's, it's like a hundred yards and it's like vertical where you're almost on sticking your hands on the, in the dirt, just holding you on the mountainside. And then you go down the, through the granite chief and it's about the same all the way to red star. And then you drop down instead of going along that nice road back down towards mm-hmm. um, Robinson, you drop down into Duncan Canyon, which is pretty pretty serious um climb it kind of rolls down with some little climbs and then you have a, a aid station there and then you climb back up to robinson and it adds a whole another almost half canyon like probably about the difficultness of um, adding volcano canyon in uh-huh. and then well i was it was different very different going cow one two three and i'm all excited i thought we don't do all the cow loops and we dropped to the river earlier. Well, that's not the case. Um, the Ford's Bar is Francisco's. So okay. um, for us, for the horses, we go to Francisco's, and then it's like clean sailing from there. For the runners, you cross the river there, and then you do a huge climb out of there. Then you have an aid station, I would say, about halfway up from the climb because then you climb again. And then you have um, 
a bunch of rolls and one or two more decent climbs in there. And then you drop back down to the river. You get on the horse part. That the, there's the last couple rolls on the nice road leading into Quarry, and you run those. And then right before you hit um, lower Quarry, you climb back up to upper Quarry, which is a really good climb. And then you cross 49 and then drop back down and then meet up with the horses right before uh, no hands. And then it's, and then it's, you know, other than the differences after you climb mm-hmm. at a Roby point, you got to do that pavement section. Um, but so it feels a lot harder with the rest, not to mention you're doing all the work yourself, but it was fun. Um, you know, through the canyons, everyone's like, oh, that's the hardest part of the day. But for me, I was starting to feel good. And that was the part of the day where I usually run a lot with my horses. So I was in a whole different mental um, place because I was so familiar with me always running that section with the horses. So, Wait, so how, how did you take care of yourself on the run compared to when you are a rider? Yeah, um, as a rider, because I am, um, I, I consider myself a pretty, pretty athletic and an athlete. I, uh, when I'm riding the horses, I don't eat and I drink maybe at the check, except for a uh, Tevis. I do drink. I take a bottle on the trail, but other every other endurance ride, I you almost never take um, water with me on trail, and um, and I eat very little during a hundred, just like a normal day's eating habits, I suppose. And then for a run, I mean, you're getting you're trying to get down four to. 500 calories every aid station and um and for me that works out about every hour to an hour and 20 minutes between aid stations wow. depending on the distance but yeah so that's kind of the difference and then i don't know how many i would drink two bottles between checks you know anywhere from four and a half to six miles i'd get two um normal 20 ounce bottles of mm-hmm. uh, fluid down usually almost always water and then at each check i would probably drink a whole nother bottle there so has running that goes on for, with yeah. learning to be better at writing absolutely i you know mm-hmm. i i did ultras in my mid-20s and um and i did it to learn more about what my horses were going through and to see how i could change training and just different things that physiologically are going on between food and recovery for the muscles and stuff like that. And um, I think it's helped tremendously. And and now that I've run the Western States, I mean, it's amazing. Like when you don't train specific, because I had to train in Florida this year, um, getting ready for Western States, um, it was so hard on my body and painful I had the muscle and the strength, but I didn't have the um, compensating muscles to move around the rocks and take different stride lengths. And mm-hmm. so my hips were extremely sore. So, I mean, that's a big eye-opener when you're getting the horses ready because if you're going to train us, if you're training a certain way and you're racing a different way, it takes its toll. Sure. And, and in horses and people, we can deal with the pain and mentally kind of put it out there. Horses do deal with the pain, but they start, you know, usually limping and compensating to a point where um, they can go lame and have injuries where people can seem to get around that a little bit better, make mm-hmm. sure we can think about it differently. So that's, I think that's really important. Well, congratulations on being selected again to represent the United States team at the upcoming WEG. So can you give us just a brief um, 
overview of the process of qualifying and being selected? Yeah, this year is a little different. Um, we, what they did this year as opposed to um, previous years, it, it almost always changes every selection process. But this year we um, kind of started last year, and we had to have certain you, you have to have certain qualification races, speeds, and distances. And they wanted us to all have a, around a eight hour and let's say an eight hour and forty minute time on a hundred. And um, which I think that was about uh, 12, 12, I can't, I don't know the exact number. I think it's 12.4 to 12.7 miles an hour. No, 12.4. So anyways, they wanted a qualifying time on 100. And then they, and then we went to a training event, which was supposed to be 75 miles. And it was going to be, it wasn't going to be a race. It was going to be, the chef to keep just tell us what paces they he wanted us to achieve on each loop, and then we go from there. And now we had really bad weather, so they changed to the following day um, that was scheduled for, and we only did we did like 46, 47 miles, something like that. And again, it was um, just a pace, and we rode as a big group, two two big groups, and we were just instructed to ride at pace. And what they were looking for, um, they already knew which horses were the fastest. They were just looking for soundness and are the horses still fit. And, mm-hmm. and then following that process, um, they had their notes. Uh, and they looked over a bunch. They had, I um, can't remember how many, it was about 10 different, um, they broke it down into 10 sections. And they gave um, value to each section. And certain things were the horse's speed, the rider's capability to listen, the horse's soundness. And they valued soundness um, the most. And um, and then previous record, previous record with the rider and stuff and stuff like that. And they broke it down to 100% value. And then they ranked everyone. And what we had following that um, that demonstration trial, we had a lameness exam evaluation. Uh, and they do flexions and. Mm-hmm. Just like you were going through a vet check um, to pre-purchase a horse, and and then after that, then they rank everyone and they vote on it, and then the, and then they come up with the um, top. Um, I think they did 12 this time for the, the long list, or the short list of 12, and and then they rank us in order of of that, and then the top the top five travel, and the sixth is an alternate, and then okay. Sixth, seventh, and eighth. Um, so, and currently, I, I believe our sixth alternate is is working on getting funding. That's um, Jeremy Olson. He's working on getting funding to um, transport his horse there in case um, one of the other horses have an issue after shipping. Okay. How far in advance do you ship the horses over? You know, where do they fly out of and into, and how long do they have to recover from their trip? Yeah, it varies every year, but this year we are shipping from New York on the, I think it's the 12th, and we um, then we ship to Liège or something like that, and it's, I think, a six- or seven-hour truck ride from there to um, to the event. And that happens on the 12th. We fly there, then the 13th, they rest, and then I, the end of the 13th or something. So they get there on the 12th. And the 13th, they rest, they leave sometime in the evening of the 13th or morning of the 14th to the event. 
And then we're there, and the event is on the 28th, so we're there, you know, a good two weeks ahead of time. Okay, and what about the writers and crews? When when do they leave? Um, that all varies upon um, everyone else, depending mm-hmm. on who takes care of the horses. Usually riders or the head groom that can ride will um, be there within the first day of the horses, and they mm-hmm. stay the duration. And some sometimes there's riders that can't make it out that early, so they'll they'll come maybe a week or a few days before the event, and but they're they're usually their trainer or head person that takes care of the horse is riding the horse in the meantime. Okay. And how many people do you have going to support you? Um, between Heather and I, I think we have, we have about 15 people that are going, friends and family. Okay. And the really and, big question is how do you pay for all of this? Yeah. So, um, <laughs> you know, normally we have a pretty big budget and um, the U.S. King does not have a very good budget this time, a uh, very big budget everything helps obviously um Yusef is picking up the flights and the transportation for the horses and um there's some small expenses for um for vet equipment and stuff like that and then all our um um all the staff um that are on the the squad they all are expensed out and then um we all um get a, a minimal amount that we can use for our flight and our food and lodging while we're there so a lot of it is um, coming out of our savings account. Well, and so give a ballpark on what would it cost to just to fly the horses. Do you, you know, know the that? horses themselves? Uh, yeah, I think usually, and and see, you have to ship horses in threes, um, and that's the only way to get the best deal and, because they 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 take a pallet of three and it's by space on the plane. So, okay. and typically to go to Europe and back, and with your. Um, now, when they come back, there's a USDA fee, and that that gets up there, so that gets up there in the three to four thousand dollar range. So, um, and that and there's a, they're in a quarantine for a few days, and I don't know why it costs so much, but anyways, that's the USDA. So, um, but when we um, so with the flight and everything like that, it's around eighteen thousand round trip for for a horse, and that's if it's a full pallet. Wow, wow. Yeah. So. And if you only go one way, um, usually it's around, you know, seven to ten thousand dollars. Okay. Well, um, so if somebody wanted to provide support for the U.S. team, what would be the best way to do that? Yeah, there, there's um, some of us have our own personal little um, thing on Facebook that that you can. Um, give money to straight. I knew USEF is a way to donate money to, but that typically doesn't get earmarked just for endurance or specific riders. And then there's a new, um, um, I don't know if it's a foundation or what, but um, I wish I had more information on it, but it's, it's a, it's a sponsorship that they're trying to reimburse riders um, for their expenses. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I, I wish I had that um, information on hand, but I don't, but there, that's a new thing that, um, I believe Emin and a couple, um, like Carolyn Hawk and, and a couple people, um, have started, and um, and that's gonna, that's pretty exciting. I don't know that much about it yet because it's pretty new, and I've been traveling a lot, and some of the the, mm-hmm. the calls I haven't been able to get onto, but um, that's coming, and that that's something kind of exciting for us. Well, compared to the other years where you've traveled abroad and competed, how do you feel about our team going into this one? No, I, I, I think it's, it's pretty exciting. Um, 
you know, the, the team we took to England I was excited about. I think those two teams, um, the England team and this team, um, have both been teams that I thought were the best horses in the U.S. Um, mm-hmm. and, and I feel the same about this team. The, the difference with this team to England is um, I think soundness has looked at a lot heavier, so I think we have a better chance from that standpoint. But it's an endurance race, and when you travel that far, there's always things that come up, and especially mm. when horses get stabled in, in situations that they're not typically used to. Things um, come up, like for instance, in England, I have I had a horse that never had a problem. He was he was probably the soundest horse in the U.S. at the time for for the team as the team goes, and and every trial, everything, he looked the best by far. And we got over there and we had to stay in stalls, and his knee would start swelling on us. So um, mm. it's it's pretty interesting. And now he finished the race because of good management um, from our vets and. So we would ice him and keep him moving and stuff like that. But, you know, it took a team um, to look at it to see how, you know, we can best manage that horse in that situation. I think that's the whole thing is it's a big team thing, not just an individual rider riding their horse because there's a lot of stuff that comes up when you travel like that. And that's what's exciting So, because um, you get all these different thoughts. And a lot of time it's, you know, there's a lot of openness between the teams. But I think we have a really good shot this time for a team medal we came so close in england and you know i, I don't know i don't know if a lot of people know but the horse the team that finished right in front of us um they they vetted through the entire team rode together and they were right ahead of us by five minutes and the last horse barely the horse in my opinion should not have vetted through because he could barely walk down the lane and mm-hmm. um and you know fit to continue to sit to continue in any, in any of this, just you know, in, in endurance and SEI, just the same as here in the States. So um, that was kind of a bad call, but you know, still the horse did finish the distance, so we, we did get beat over the line, but it was kind of exciting. We were so close, and it was also the fastest time. Um, our, our, play, our time for our um, collective team would have won us a goal that almost every single U.S. championship, and it it only got us fourth this last time. So things have gotten faster and, and the teams, um, not just faster from an individual standpoint, but from a team aspect that the whole, the entire teams are coming in much faster together. So, so you were talking earlier about your adventure running the ride instead of riding the ride and how that really, uh, brought into focus the the effect of the horse's training regime and the geography that he gets to train on. Do you know enough about the WEG course and where it is that you're going to be able to um, change your training routine at all to help the horse become more acclimated to the type of terrain he's going to be racing on, or don't you have enough yeah, information to be able to do anything with it? Yeah, last yeah last year they opened the course. They had an event on it. They have the for all the world championships, they have to have an event on it um, the year prior. And, um, and, and, th- and typically we race on courses that are run every season, but um, this course was only seen once. Um, and we did have a few U S riders go over and they gave a report on the course and we had seen some pictures and, um, and some of the courses close to there are familiar from friends. So we've gotten a p- pretty big report and we have been doing some some specific training for that in Europe we, you typically go on a lot of pavement and we have about we only have about 10 miles worth of pavement um, but 
so it shouldn't be too much of an issue for us because um, we train on harder ground typically in the U.S. Now, us in Florida, we train on sand, so we're, we are doing some trotting on pavement to get that um, concussion um, so the horses aren't um, surprised by it when they go to the event. And then this course also has a lot of change in direction, so we're picking trail, trails that have change in direction, so we may be cantering you know, at 12 and 13 miles an hour and slow down and change direction so that they get used to that and listen to us so that they um, have the best um, advantages they can for that course. But other than that, I mean, it doesn't have much hill, has a little bit of rolling to it, um, so hills aren't going to be a factor for us. Um, but um, mainly the course is going to be covered at a canter and then just being able to change direction. Mm-hmm. Well, Jeremy, tell us a little bit about Reynolds Racing. Yeah, so it's um, my wife and I, our, our business um, through endurance, and we we train horses. Um, we always, almost all of them are for sale, and um, that that's how we, you know, are able to fund our international racing is by selling the horses, and that's how we survive um, to pay the bill everyday bills. Um, so we train them up. We we usually take uh, we have them for a year or two before we um, pass them on to the right. Um, the next um, riders in their uh, for their um, for their companions, but um, and then we we coach um, um, riders. We do take a, a select few of um, outside horses for training, and we also um, are just starting to um, do racehorses on the flat track, and that's been pretty exciting because um, most of our endurance horses are all reclaimed um, flat track racehorses, mm-hmm. and. So um, we it just kind of seemed natural to kind of go into that, and um, we do a very little bit of breeding, um, but um, mainly we like to buy the the uh, the racetrack horses, um, the bred specifically for that because of the athleticism and and they're built to run a little bit better than maybe a show horse. But we've had success with show horses too. Not okay, to say and that they can't and, be fast. But. And your website address is ReynoldsRacing.us. That's correct. Yeah. Is that correct? Okay. Well, great. Well, we're just about out of time, and I want to thank you again for joining us, and congratulations big time on your completion on the 100-mile run, and good luck at the Thank way. you very much. And we'll be seeing you on the trail. Good luck. Well, that he is just a fascinating guy, and, you know, anybody that can run 100 miles <laughs> over that kind of terrain deserves respect. Well, definitely, and it's a, quite an asset to the team that that he's such an athlete. I think that's great. Yeah, you know, and, you, and you know, it does it does require that, doesn't it, when you're doing those kind of races? I think so. It that, definitely helps to be a, a good, strong athlete like that. Do you do any other working out other than riding? Does uh, hauling hay count? <laughs> <laughs> And uh, all the barn chores. You know, I do get off uh, when I'm riding quite a bit and uh, walk or jog with my horse. I think that that helps a lot. Well, and we did come up with the name of the person we were looking for, Jan Worthington. She's in her 70s. You know, yes, she. We've had it. We've had her on the shows before, and I just could not think of her name. So uh, there we go. Sorry, Jan. We got it. (laughs) We got it. Now, we've had him on before. Didn't we have him on the show before, Uh, our our past guest, Jeremy Reynolds? uh, I believe Heather, his wife, you had on one of your shows. 
Okay, I thought so. I thought that sounded familiar because they're right literally from down the street from where we are here in Ocala. Wow, great. They should be uh, trained for the heat riding, that's for sure, because we, we get a little warm here. We don't get the dry heat like you guys do, we, but uh, they should know how to handle humidity, that's for sure, at 100% wow. of the day. <laughs> Um, now, tell me about Tevis, if there's, you know, because we are obviously looking forward to that. It's coming up in four weeks, three days, 18 hours and 54 minutes, by the way, on August yes. the 9th, <laughs> because I just looked it up on their website. Um, what is it about Tevis that makes it Tevis? And do you have a memory or two from, from your Tevis rise that uh, stick with you? I do. You know, um the trail, I think it's the trail that draws everybody, The uh, just getting to experience that with you and your horse. You become uh, a team to cover that kind of terrain together in 24 hours for 100 miles. is just It's just something that, you know, a lot of us set it as a goal. That's what got me interested in endurance riding to start with. You know, I'm lucky that I live just 60 miles from the start, so I'm really close. So it's just once you get Tevis fever, you get bit by the bug, you can't get it out of your system. <laughs> right, right. You just, you just, yeah, want to keep going and doing it. Uh, or, uh, you know, over the last 20 years, I've been there every year except for one or two. One of the years was because there was a fire and they didn't have the ride. So I, I'm usually there crewing or volunteering or riding. So, uh, but yeah, it's uh, something that most endurance riders aspire to do one way or the other. And, and uh, I, you know, I think um, it's just one of those big bucket list items that people want to get accomplished. Now, I know that a couple of years ago, we talked about this uh, before here on the show, a couple of years ago, they had a fire that went through part of the trail area, and there was something called mm-hmm. the Swinging Bridge, if I remember right, that was destroyed in the fire. And uh, the alternative was that you had to go down through the river. Um, right. And, I'm, 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 and, they, and that's still not open, the Swinging Bridge, right? It's not. And so they made a detour to go around it, which is what they used to do years ago before the bridge was there. So they've got a nice safe trail to go around it. And most people go down into the river before starting the big climb up anyway. So now they just have to divert around it until the bridge gets uh, repaired or replaced or whatever they're going to do. I know the trail committee... I just was reading, they've put in something like 6,000 hours working on the trail so far, um, doing a lot of work, not just to fix the damage from the fire, but they're continually improving it. The trail now, the last couple of years when I've ridden, it's been in the best shape I've ever seen it. They've done a really excellent job improving the trail, making it safer, um, you know, shoring up all the spots where uh, it might have been eroding or becoming more and more narrow. They've just a fabulous job with the trail work. They have an excellent website. You can go to teviscup.org and you can go to the trail uh, section there, the drop-down menu at the trail, and they have a whole bunch of trail videos. They have a walking tour of Cougar Rock, which is the rock that we see your famous picture 
so often uh, around the internet because I think everybody's using your picture now. And that's the uh, <laughs> one where you're going like straight up. Um, so they have all just they have all kinds of stuff on the on the website here if you want to get an idea of what uh, Tevis is really like. It's it's pretty good, you know. Mhm. Up oh, oh, you still there? I'm still here. Karen? I think. Oh, good. Okay, good. I thought I lost you again. Okay. Good. Uh yeah, so check it out. Uh it's uh Tevis 2014. Now we will Will not be. Uh, we our next show won't be till after Tevis, right? Right, right. Okay, so hopefully we'll be able to get the winner on and uh, uh, chat a little about what's going on. Yes, our next show will be right after Tevis, so we'll we'll make an attempt to get the the winner on this year. And there's been a lot of people who have won multiple times, I know. Um, and so we'll see if we have a newbie this year or if uh, we have a returning winner to, to the Tevis Cup. And then right after question. that, of course, yeah. I, I have a quick Tevis question. So a lot of large competitions like Tevis in various disciplines have more than one award. It's not just first place this person won. For example, Rolex has the highest placed American rider and the highest, you know, mm-hmm. like that. So for Tevis, there's the person who won the race because they went the fastest, and then there's going to be the best condition. Do they have other awards besides mm-hmm. those two? Um, well, just to earn your Tevis buckle is a really big deal, and I think for a lot of the people going, you know, the goal, it doesn't matter when you finish or where you finish, you just want to finish and earn your buckle. And the completion rate is under 50%. I think it was 47% last year. So your odds of finishing, you know, it's a 50-50 thing pretty much. You're, uh, you know, kind of, you're playing the odds if you're going to make it or not. I've been so really lucky. I've made it. You have to qualify to enter or mm-hmm. can anybody enter? Um, I think you need to have 300 miles, and I'm not sure if, if I'm glad to hear that. <laughs> yes, you have to have like 300 miles. And, you know, it's a good idea to have some experience and also for your horse to have some experience because, you know, you really need to learn. That's what I talked about, the teamwork with your horse. When you're riding in the dark on those trails and there's a lot of switchbacks and they're narrow in the dark, if you fall off the trail, you're gonna, you could fall a long way down into the river below. And people have. So you need to have that trust in your horse and to work together as a team and to, you know, when I've, you know, um, done the ride now on both three times and, and I've come to really trust him and to just let him trot in the dark. I don't need to turn him or steer him. I just kind of like enjoy it. it it's just like an e-ticket ride at Disneyland. You just close your <laughs> eyes and it's just like magic. You know, you're trotting along and then whoosh, you do a really sharp turn on a switchback and the horse never misses a beat. It's just an incredible feeling to get to do that. Well, and, and to get to the point where there's that much trust, I think that that, that in itself is, is a good feeling. Right, and to, to learn to not interfere with your horse. You know, the the they learn to do what they're doing, and they're really good at it. <laughs> so Which has got to be tough you know, for some people who have always, you know, been, quote, unquote, in control and have never had to let their horse really take it and run with it. That's got to be right. somewhat tough. 
Yeah. Right. Yes, and it, it's taken me some time too to get that trusting with my horse and to uh, to know that he doesn't really need me. He can do it without me, <laughs> and, and I'm just going to interfere and get in his way. And so I've learned to to have a little bit more trust in him and to to just gently guide him, you know, and to to have faith that he doesn't want to fall off either. <laughs> <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> well, now tell us, uh, before we run out of time here, there's a lot of rides coming up, isn't there? We're in the there height are. of the season This now. time of year is really busy. There's over 50 rides on the calendar just in the next month. Uh, so ride season is definitely, you know, going strong with rides all over the country. If you want to find where rides are near you, go to aerc.org and click on the ride calendar. You can search by your region, uh, look up the current rides, and scroll through and see if there's a ride near you. And uh, just go to aerc.org. Very good. Well, Karen, thank you once again for joining us. We really appreciate it. And your website is? KarenChatton.com. And, of course, Karen is with us on the second Tuesday of every month here at Horses in the Morning. We're here every day of the week. Jamie will be back tomorrow, and uh, we, we uh, will be back with the Mountain Horse episode that we do once a month here on Thursday. So that should be a lot of fun as well. We're here with you uh, live from uh, 9 a.m. to 10.30 a.m. Eastern Time, Monday through Friday. And you can listen to past episodes at uh, horsesinthemorning.com all the way back to episode number one. We're at episode 950 now, so we've done a few of them. You can uh, follow Horses in the Morning on Facebook. Just search for Horses in the Morning. And you can get our app where you can hear the recorded version. Just go to uh, App Store on iPhone or Android and search for Horse Radio Network. And uh, that's about it for today. We'll be back here tomorrow morning, 9 a.m. And, Karen, we'll see you again next month. All right. Take care, everybody. Ride safe. Wear your helmet. Trust your horse. Put a blindfold on. You, not your horse.